Welcome to Rabbi Michael Whitman's weekly podcast, Mining the Riches of the Parsha, where we discuss, using classic and modern sources, the insights of each Parsha that will make a difference in your life. Good evening. It's great to see you all. Tonight I have the privilege to share with you a lecture, a famous lecture, that was given in the 1970s by Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik of blessed memory, known as the Rav. I feel inadequate and intimidated to try to uh, share something from such a great person. I hope to be able to give a little bit of a sense of this remarkable Torah teacher. And so uh, we'll try. This week's Parsha Baloscha is one of the most difficult to understand in the entire Torah. Let's start with the following difficulty at the end. If you turn, please, to page 794. Page 794 is the end of the Parsha. The beginning of chapter 12, Pasuk Aleph, Vatadaber Miriam va'aron b'Moshe. Miriam and Aaron started to gossip about Moshe. It's just unthinkable. And we'll look at the psukim a little bit later, but Hashem comes to speak to them and says, what are you saying? Why would you say negative things about Moshe? But how can it be that Miriam, who literally saved Moshe's life, who cared for him, who made sure that he survived, and accompanied him through this entire journey, how can it be that she turns on him and gossips about him and says Lashon Hara? And then, okay, it's not a nice thing to do, but then the punishment is so swift and so severe that God causes a miracle and she is stricken with saras, which is this punishment that existed during the time of the Torah, a person's skin would turn different colors. Okay, it's not nice to gossip about somebody, but I mean, that's a pretty serious punishment, and it happens right away. And number two, what is that narrative have to do with the narrative that precedes it. So, I know I'm working backwards, but if you turn to please, please to page 786. Page 786, chapter 11, bottom of the page. Ba'yihi ha'am kimis onanin, rabbas ne Hashem. The people started to complain. They started to complain that the food's no good. That's how you know they're Jews. <laughs> the food's no good, and they're complaining, and Moshe gets upset, and Hashem gets upset. 
Okay, and that story develops. We're going to look at that also a little bit later, but what's that got to do with, how does that lead into the story of Miriam? And what's really striking about this story, okay, the people complain. Listen, if you lead a few million Jews, you've you got to expect you're going to have some complaining. And if you look, please, because we know how Moshe responded before. For example, we learned early in the Torah the sin of the golden calf. Now that was huge. Hashem just spoke to the entire Jewish people and told them, don't make graven images. Forty days later, they make a golden calf. Hashem is upset. You can see God's side. And what does Moshe do? Moshe says, Vayechal Moshe. Moshe goes to battle for them. Moshe stands up for them to defend them. You have to excuse them. You have to forgive them. The word Vayechal is related to the Hebrew word of Chayal, of soldier, of warrior. Moshe responded to a very clear sin of the Jewish people of the golden calf and Moshe goes to war for them. Moshe stands up to God. You have to forgive them. You have to understand them. You have to give them another chance. And in fact, so far, up until we're now in the middle of the fourth book of the Torah, up until this point, we have never seen Moshe despair. We have never seen Moshe panic. And here, the people complain that they've been eating the same food every day. Hashem provides the man, the manna. It's this miraculous food, it appears. Our sages tell us it was a perfect food. Whatever you wanted it to taste like, it would taste like it's a perfect food. But they got tired of it. And they complained. And they said, we want meat. Number four, we want meat. Okay, I understand it's frustrating when people complain about the food. <laughs> a big chunk of my life is people complaining to me about the food at Kiddush. I understand, but it goes with the job. <laughs> but listen to what happens. Pasuk 10, I'm on page 788. Pasuk number 10. Vayishma Moshe Ham, Moshe heard the people crying because they didn't have enough meat. Each person in his in front of his tent. And God became exceedingly angry. There's a, a lesson that's taught to us by the Vilna Gon, Rabbi Elio of Vilna. Good evening. Please help yourself to some chalot. 
Shalit will make you inconspicuous. Yeah. <laughs> a lesson of the Vilna Gon Rabbi Eliyahu Vilna, whenever the Torah uses the word ma'od, which means exceedingly or very much, it means more than that. It means as much as is possible. Not just a lot, but the most. Hashem became as angry as Hashem could become. Ube'ene Moshe Ra. And in Moshe's eyes, this situation was bad. That's the first time we hear an expression like that used about Moshe. The first time that Moshe does not automatically and immediately and with conviction come to the defense of the Jewish people. But, I mean, that this is really the biggest problem. This is really the one time you absolutely lose your temper and you can't handle it and you just... I can't defend these people anymore because they want me. The golden calf, you found a way to defend the Jewish people. But now, oh, you're complaining about the, feet for, for the food? Forget it. It seems like a reaction that is out of proportion to what evokes it. And Moshe says... Not only does he not come to the defense of the Jewish people, not only does he join, join God in criticizing the Jewish people, but look at Pasuk 11. Vayomer Moshe Hashem, Lama Hariosa Why did you make my life so terrible that I have to be leading these people? That I have to carry the burden of these people? Pasuk 12, bottom of the page. Did I give birth to these people that I should be like their mother, like their nurse? That as if you would say to me, just like a, 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 a mother of a newborn baby has to nurse her baby and take care of the baby around the clock. That's what I have to do? That's now my job? Top of the next page, 790. Top of the page, 13, Pasuk 13. Where am I going to get meat in the middle of the desert to give to them? What am I supposed to do? How am I going to answer the people? How am I going to take care of this? Pasuk 14. Lo uchal anochi levadi laseis es kol I can't handle it. Kikave mi many. It's too much. I can't handle it. It's hard even to read the next Pasuk. And if that's what you're going to do, Hashem, Hargeni Naharog, just take my life. It's not worth living. I take my life. <laughs> because they're complaining about the kiddish, you really life is not worth living. Okay, I relate a little bit once in a while, it gets to you a little bit. Okay, but Moshe Rabbeinu? That's the response. Okay. Impossible to understand on the surface. But the most difficult aspect of this week's Parsha, every Parsha tells a story. Every Parsha has a beginning, a middle, and end. And there is a unified structure. There's a narrative. And there is a theme. But you come to this Parsha, the words of Rav Soloveitchik, 
as I was listening to this parsha being read in shul, it's as if I could imagine a bee flying from one flower to another flower to another flower. What's going on here? Let's start at the beginning. Page 774. Now I'm just going to be flipping through pages. Page 774. The parsha begins with the, the, the Hashem tells Aharon that you're going to have the responsibility to light the menorah in the Mishkan and later in the base of Mikdash. Okay. Then, page, bottom of page 774, Hashem gives the commandments about the role of the Levium, the Levites. They served a role, a supporting role in the Beis Hamikdash, in the Mishkan, and they had to be sanctified, and there were rules and laws concerning the Levium. Okay, page 778. All of a sudden, we have this story that leads to Pesach Sheni. They were about to observe the second year, the, the, the one year anniversary of leaving, Pesach, uh, leaving Egypt. So it's time to observe Pesach and to bring the carbon Pesach, the Paschal offering. But it happens, the Torah said before, if a person was Tameh, if they had come into contact with the dead body, they're not allowed to offer the carbon Pesach. So there were people who had come into contact with the dead body right before Pesach and they didn't have time to go through the seven-day purification process. So they came to Moshe and they said, what do we do? We want to participate, but the Torah says we're not allowed to participate, but we're supposed to participate. What do we do? So Hashem says, oh, I have a solution. It's called Pesach Sheni. It's called makeup. One month later, you get a do-over. You miss the first date, you have a rain check. But what's that got to do with the Levian? What's that got to do with the menorah? Okay. The next pa passage, page 780. The Torah describes that when the Jews were going to travel through the desert, there was a cloud <coughs> that would guide them. You got to know which way to go. So there was this cloud, this Anan, represented Hashem's presence and the cloud traveled in front of them and they would follow the crowd. And if the cloud went forward, they would march. And if the cloud stopped, they would make camp. Okay, but what's that got to do with Pesach Sheni? What's that got to do with Levium? Then page 782. Page 782 is a completely different subject. Page 782, Pasuk number 1, Hashem says to Moshe, make trumpets. You need trumpets, silver trumpets. And if you want to send a message to the entire camp, you blow this sound for this message and this sound for that message. Okay, yeah, I guess you have to have a communication system, but what's that got to do with Pesach? We just finished a mitzvah about a makeup for Pesach. What's that got to do with a communication system for camping in the desert? Okay. Bottom of page 782. The Torah gives us the order of traveling. When they would travel through the desert, this tribe went first, this tribe comes second, this tribe goes third, 
This is how they camp. Okay. Then, page 784, the bottom of the page, passage number 29, there's this conversation between Moshe and his father-in-law. Yisro. Moshe says to Yisro, Yisro, come with us. We're going to Israel. Come with us. Yisro says, no thank you. No. No. I don't want to go. Moshe says, please come with us. <laughs> okay, but but what's that got to do with anything? Then, page 786, Pasuk number 35, we have two verses, Tupsukim, and you notice an upside down, inverted nun before and after. You notice, and it's not a coincidence, that that upside down, inverted nun looks a little bit like a parenthesis. Now, our sages tell us, and, and that symbol occurs in the actual Torah scroll. The Torah scroll doesn't have any vowels or punctuation, but these two symbols are there. Our sages tell us, this means to tell us that these two verses don't belong here. They're out of place, like they're in parentheses. They don't belong here. Okay. So, if they don't belong here, what are they doing here? Meaning, why don't you put it where it belongs? In fact, where does it belong? The Torah says, Pasuk Lamed Hay, famous psukim. We all know these psukim. We say them in Shul every Shabbos. Vayibin Sarah Haron. Vayomer Moshe. And it was when the ark traveled, Moshe said, Kuma Hashem, rise up Hashem, and spread your, cause your enemies to flee from in front of you. Well, let's think for a minute, where does that belong? Well, it would make sense, says Rav Salvechik, to put it at the end of the book of Shemos. The end of the book of the Shemos is the completion of the building of the Mishkan, and the Torah said, finally, the cloud of Hashem rested on the Mishkan to show that Hashem's presence was there. Then it makes sense to say, and when the ark would travel, Moshe would say, Kuma Hashem Maybe that's where it makes sense to put it. But if that's where it belongs, then why not put it there? Why put it in a place that it does not belong? And then finally... The next passage is the one I referred to before. People start to complain. What's that got to do with causing your enemies to flee? And then, the last narrative, Miriam starts to gossip about Moshe. What is going on in this parsha? What's the theme? What's the narrative? Is it all just like, like miscellaneous? Just various... Subjects that just, we had nowhere else to put them, so we just put it here. Rav Salvechik explains that in fact, this parsha is one story. One very tragic story which changes the course of Jewish history.
What was the goal of leaving Egypt? What did Hashem say to Moshe to tell the Jewish people that the goal was to leaving Egypt? There were three goals. Number one, to get to Sinai and receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. Number two, to build the Mishkan in the desert. And number three, to go to Israel. Those were the three things in, in the book of Shemos. In Exodus, Hashem said to Moshe, I want, I'm going to take you out of Egypt in order to bring you to Mount Sinai and give you the Torah. You'll be able to build the Mishkan in the desert. And then, I'm taking you to Israel. Okay. What was the original intention? The original intention of Hashem is that this was going to be a very short journey. Leave Egypt at Pesach. Get to Mount Sinai at Shavuot, seven weeks later. Receive the Torah. <coughs> Moshe is supposed to go up to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the rest of the Torah, 40 days. Moshe was supposed to come back down and command the building of the Mishkan. Well, a little delay, because at the end of the 40 days, Moshe comes down, and instead of being able to command the people in the building of the Mishkan, he sees a golden calf. So that requires a delay of 80 days. Moshe goes back up to the mountain for 40 days, and another 40 days he's praying to Hashem and asking to forgive them and getting the second set of tablets of the Ten Commandments. And 80 days later, which happens to be Yom Kippur, Moshe finally comes down with the second set of Luchos, and now he commands the Jewish people to build the mission. Okay, it's a delay of 80 days. Yes? Why delay? Why is the 40 days delay the first 40 days? That's how long after Moshe comes down and sees the Egel, the golden calf, it takes 80 days until Yom Kippur, until he comes back down with the second Luchos, Yom Kippur. It's 80 days. Oh, I thought it was only 40. Uh, no, it's two 40-day periods. Yeah, but the first 40 is necessary because he has to... Yeah, the first 40... No, it's a total of three 40-day periods. The oh. first 40 days was supposed to be... But he was supposed to come down with the first set of luchos and that was it, command the beginning of the Mishkan in the summer. But it got delayed by 80 days until after Yom Kippur. Okay, a little delay. 80 days. A little delay. When is the Mishkan finished? The Mishkan is finished Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the Jewish month of Nisan. That's a year minus two weeks after leaving Egypt. Okay, that's how long it takes. It's intricate, it's complicated, it's, 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 uh, it's hard to build. Okay, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the beginning of the Jewish month of Nisan, two weeks shy of the anniversary of leaving Egypt, the Mishkan is finished. Then, and now, in the Torah itself, so what does that take up? That takes up the end of the book of Shmos, which describes the building of the Mishkan, and the book of Ayikra, which is really not narrative, but it's the laws about how to act in the Mishkan, 
the laws of the priests and the laws of the sacrifices. There are other things there, but it's mostly laws, not narrative. And the beginning of the book of Bamidbar, until we get to last week's portion, Nasso, because in last week's Torah portion, we have the 12 days of dedication. Each of the Nesim, each of the princes of the tribes, they, starting with Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first one the first day, second one the second day, for 12 days, 12 tribes, 12 days, each one brought gifts to dedicate the Mishkan. Now we're up to the 12th of Nisan. 12th of Nisan. Okay, fine. So on the 13th of Nisan, we're ready to travel to Israel. The plan was, travel to Israel. And it's not that far. It's a couple of weeks to get from Sinai to Israel at that point. Okay, well, you're on the 13th of Nisan. Hold on. The original idea is by the 13th of Nisan, we already would have been in Israel. But because of the 80-day delay, it's now Arab Pesach. You can't travel in Arab Pesach because you have to offer the carbon Pesach. You have to offer the Pesach sacrifice. Okay, so a little bit more of a delay because we have to observe Pesach. It's the first Pesach after leaving Egypt. Okay. Couple day delay. But then, <laughs> there were a few people that were not able to observe that Pesach, the first Pesach in Egypt, because they had come into contact with a dead body. So they come and ask the question, okay, so what do we do? Hashem says to Moshe, you get a makeup a month later. We gotta wait. Now we have to wait, now we're delayed a month, because we have to wait for these people to be able to observe Pesach. Okay, fine. But as soon as Pesach Sheni, that, that's the 14th day of ER, that's a month after Pesach, okay, but the next day, we're ready to go. Now we're ready to travel to Israel. Okay, you're ready to travel to Israel. Let's get a couple of, of, of ground rules. Number one, and, and at this point, so this is now um, a year and a month, 13 months after leaving Egypt. Okay, now we're ready to go to Israel. It should have been a little shorter, but it's not terrible, 13 months. Now we're ready to go to Israel. Okay, let's get a few things straight. Number one, you're going to travel from the desert to Israel. Well, let's just review what's the order of traveling. That makes sense. We're traveling into Israel. Let's form up. Who goes first? Who goes second? That makes sense. Number two, you need a system of communication. Because if you want an order, who's going first, who's going second, you have to have a signal. So you have, a, you have trumpets, and you have a signal. This sound means the first tribe starts traveling. And this sound means the next tribe starts traveling. And this sound means you stop. You have to have signals. Okay, that's preparatory for marching into Israel. And what you should be able to sense, especially in this passage, 
is an air of expectation, an air of tension, we're finally going to do it. After all the years of slavery in Egypt and traveling in the desert and the delays, we're ready to go into Israel. So we need the communication system, we need the order of traveling. The Rav's words. There is a mood of expectancy and tension. There is a mood of mobilization and rigid order in the air. All conditions are met. The reward is about to be granted. Finally, the promise to Abraham, more than 400 years earlier, is about to be fulfilled. The I will bring them will become the fifth freedom. Remember, at the beginning of Shemos of Exodus, where God tells the Jewish tells Moshe to come to the Jewish people and tell them, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and I'm going to save you and I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to, and there are four languages, word, phrases of redemption and freedom, and the fifth, and I am going to bring you to the land that I have promised you. So we finished the first four. We, we came to Sinai. We got the Torah. We built the Mishkan. We left Egypt. And now we're ready for the fifth stage. We're traveling into Israel. The people are on their final triumphant march. In this mood, Moshe was excited. He was expecting great things. There's tenseness in the air and there is determination and boldness to break through if necessary. Interesting is the conversation between Moshe and his father-in-law. So take a look again. Let's look at it more carefully. Page 784. Pasuk number 29. And I want you to try to sense the emotion, the mood behind the words or beneath the words. 29 near the bottom of the page. Vayomer Moshe lechovev ben Ruel. And Moshe said to Chovev, that's another name for Yisro, his father-in-law. Listen to his words. No simanachnu. We're traveling. El amakom asher omar Hashem to the place that God promised us. Not we're going to. Not we will, but we are. Present tense. This is it. <coughs> and he says to his father-in-law, Lecha itanu. Ve'tavnu lach. Come with us. It'll be good for you. Ki Hashem diber Yisrael. Because God promised great good things for Israel. Again, the words of Rabbi Soloveitchik. It is a climate of serenity, a peace of mind, and unqualified assurance. Moshe spoke of the final journey to the promised land. No waiting anymore. <coughs> no animamin. I believe with a pure faith that sometime in the future Mashiach will come. No, 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 no. No need for it anymore. No delays. No if, no when. No, im shamoa tishmu. If you listen to what I say, I'm going to take you into land. No, 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 no conditions. 
but rather it's now. It's happening now, not tomorrow, now. Present tense, not we will set out, but present tense, we are setting out. No problems, no questions, no doubts, nothing. It will be very simple. This emotion that comes through in this conversation that Moshe has with his father-in-law is, it's here, it's now. Everything that Hashem promised, present tense. And Rav Salvechik adds another point. He says, if you look at this conversation between Moshe and his father-in-law, he says, this is not only the conversation between a son-in-law and a father-in-law. This was an, an invitation that is extended by Moshe, the representative of the Jewish people, to the entire world. Come with us. Join us. We are going, we are doing something <coughs> that has never been done in human history. We are traveling to where God has promised us to set up this ideal society. <coughs> Remember, our sages tell us, had this all worked out, and Moshe would have led the Jewish people into Israel immediately. It would have ushered in immediately the Messianic era. There never would have been exile, never would have been destruction, never would have been persecution. And Moshe says, Moshe, the representative of the Jewish people, says <coughs> to the world, join us. You don't have to be Jewish. Come to Israel. Serve God. And, and we'll usher in together. <coughs> we'll share it with you. <coughs> I just need to remember to drink it. I have it. Is you okay? <coughs> Hashem says to, Moshe says to Yisro, but really to the whole world, there's enough chesed and goodness and happiness in the Torah to be transmitted to others and to be shared with others. Join in our triumphal march, Moshe said to Yisro, towards our destiny. It may become your destiny as well. And the Rav says, when I read this Parsha, and, and this is what I hope for you for this Shabbos, when I read this Parsha, it attracts me. Sometimes I want to cry when I read this parsha. The simplicity with which the great Moshe, the master of all wise men and the father of all prophets speaks. He uses the grammatical first person. We are setting out. <coughs> Come with us. What does it mean? Moshe was certain. There was not even the shadow of doubt in his mind that he and the entire Jewish people would for all history <coughs> be known as both the generation that left Egypt, Yotze Mitzrayim, as well as the generation that entered Israel of Boe Aretz. <laughs> Not two different generations separated by 40 years. 
Same generation, same people. We leave Egypt, a little bit of a delay, a couple of months, we're going right to Israel. <coughs> Page 786. <coughs> Pasuk 35. And it was when the ark traveled. Traveled where? To Israel. This is it. This is the description of the journey to Israel. <coughs> this is in exactly the right place. This is where it belongs. It's describing... The final, ultimate journey to Israel. And then something happens. Now the problem is if you look back to the golden calf what went wrong? Well, it's pretty clear what went wrong. God said don't do something and they did it. Here though, it's not exactly clear what went wrong. Yeah, they complained about the food. I understand that. But for Moshe to say that Moshe is no longer going to defend the Jewish people after all he's been through with them, that this is the ultimate, ultimate worst thing ever? It's not clear. What, what's... But, here's what is clear, page 788, Pasuk 10 again, Vayishma Moshe Sa'am, Bochalimish Bokosav, Vayichar Afashemod, God got exceedingly angry. Ubeene Moshe Ra, first time ever, Moshe is disgusted, fed up, he loses it. <coughs> and it brings the march to Israel to a halt. That's it. And it pushes the entry into Israel to somewhere far, far down the road. We know, because we know the story, 40 years. But it's not happening. Why? So, Salvechuk explains as follows. You know, there is a phenomenon <laughs> we're not familiar with it so much today because it it doesn't really speak to us or against us. Avodah idolatry. You worship an idol, you bow down to a calf, you think it's going to save you, you think it's going to redeem you. It's a false belief. It's not going to endure. Okay, God is really very upset if a person worships idols. It's a bad sin. But it's not a threat. Because it's, you're just making a stupid mistake. 
But there's another phenomenon. And Rav Soloveitchik refers to this as paganism. But not in the usage of the term that we may be familiar with. Paganism in, in this definition, according to Rabbi Soloveitchik, means it is an approach to life that is the antithesis of Judaism. It's an approach that says there are no limits, there are no boundaries, the purpose of life is to enjoy yourself, the purpose of life is hedonism, grab all you can, And as a lifestyle, it's worse than idolatry. Because as a lifestyle, when a person is consumed by their desires, and the only thing they think about <coughs> is satisfying their desires, then our desires become literally insatiable. And when all of life becomes a search for pleasure and a desire for more, then there's no room for God. So what happens when the Jewish people complain about the food and where's the meat and Hashem says, okay, I'm going to provide you with meat. I'm going to bring these uh, slav, these uh, quail, some kind of birds kosher birds, and you can eat as much as you want. And then the Torah describes, it's, it's a little bit disgusting, they just gather it in heaps and heaps and just piles and piles, I mean more than any human being can eat. Because it is an expression of this paganistic gluttonous approach to life the only thing that's important is stuffing myself and, and feeling satisfaction and, and I'll never be completely satisfied and following one pleasure after another pleasure and that's all there is in life is pursuing pleasure and satisfaction and satiety. But the opposite of the quail is the month. The man, the manna that God provided. Now you remember, we have it in this parsha also. How did it work? Well, the first thing is, it's food that came from God. So, number one, it comes from God. Number two, there are limits. It's going to be there every day. You can take as much as you need for that day, but you can't take more than you need for that day. Take what you need. <coughs> Don't just take as much like a pig and just take as much as you can carry? No. You take what you need. And you only need enough for that day because tomorrow, new stuff is coming. On Friday, you take a double portion because it's not going to come on Shabbos. So, you take a double portion on Friday, but every other day, you take one portion. Limited. Normal. What you need. Not just stuffing your face as much as you can all the time. They are opposites. But they're not just opposite eating styles. They're not opposite menus. They're opposite approaches to life. And they emphasize that they ate free in Egypt. They use the word chinam. You know, 
And the Jewish people, the Jewish people rejected the manna. They complained. We don't want to keep eating this stuff. It comes from Hashem. We're dependent on God. We only get enough for today. I've got to go worry that Hashem is going to provide tomorrow. I'm limited. I can only take one portion. I want a double portion. Oh, you can't take a double portion. You're telling me how much I can take? I want to be able to take as much as I want. In complaining about the man, the manna, what is really happening is the Jewish people are rejecting an approach to life that says that physical pleasures have their place, but they are subservient to larger issues in life. They are rejecting that for an approach to life that says the only thing that matters <coughs> is how much can I stuff in my face. God. And they're rejecting God. And they showed themselves by that approach to life that they were unworthy of the land of Israel. And Moshe realized at that moment it's not going to work. Now, keep in mind that the decree from God that the Jewish people would have to wander for 40 years in the desert, that had not yet happened. That's next week's Parsha. The Parsha Shlach with the sin of the spies. And they came and they gave back a negative report. It didn't happen yet. That's when there is this public decree by God that this generation is not going into Israel. They're going to have to wander for 40 years and the next generation, 40 years later, will be able to enter. This is before that happens. Because the, the sin of the spies is not the cause of the delay of 40 years to entering Israel. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of this week's Parsha. It's a symptom of seeing a weakness and shallowness within the Jewish people, these, these people are not worthy. And at that moment, Moshe understood, he intuited, he sensed, even before God said anything, he understood Israel is not around the corner. Israel is not this short journey down the road. It's, it's far off. It's it's, and he realized he was not going to reach it. And so Moshe says to God, I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to live through that. To see that everything that I worked for and everything that I believed, and everything that I hoped for, and it's lost. It's gone. It's gone. It's unattainable. And suddenly, these two psukim, vayihibin soahaaron, they're out of place. Because it's not the trip to Israel. The next passage shows us we're not ready for Israel. 
we're not traveling to Israel. We're traveling somewhere else, we're wandering, we're, we don't even know where we are. And these two verses are out of place. Now they're out of place. And now they get these inverted nuns. And they stand there, not just like parentheses, but like reminders of this tragedy. This was supposed to be it. It was supposed to be in the right place. But we were not worthy. The nuns are inverted because the journey has become inverted. Misdirected. We thought we were traveling straight to Israel. No, we're going somewhere else. It's not happening. And Moshe says to Hashem, he says, this is not what I signed up for. And that soliloquy that, that I share with you. Moshe says, page 788, Pasuk 11, you, you're changing the rules. You appointed me to be Moshe Rabbeinu. To be Moshe the lawgiver. Moshe the teacher. Now you're saying, I am supposed to be Moshe the nurse. What's the difference between a teacher who teaches and a mother who is nursing her baby? What's the difference? Listen to what Rav Salvejic says. The difference is like this. If I'm a teacher, I love my students. I care about my students. But I go home at night. My students go home at night. And then we see each other the next day. I exist as a person. I'm wrapped up in my students. I care about my students. I'll lose sleep if my students are not doing well, God forbid. But I'm a person. He or she is a person. We're all people. A mother with a baby is not a person. A mother with a baby has an existence where that baby is dependent on that mother 24-7 without any break, not a minute, not a moment. You can't turn your eye. A mother with a baby has no existence outside of that baby. Unless there'd be a father five minutes to here and there would help out a little bit. Okay, but that's, that's not very frequent. A mother does not have, a mother is only giving. Only, there's no, there's no downtime. There's no <clears throat> vacation. There's no private life. There's no individual. There's no identity separate from this baby. And so what Moshe is really saying to Hashem, he's saying, what you're really saying to me now, let's just be, you're, you're, what you're saying to me, God, is, I don't have a life. I don't have an identity. I don't have a personhood. I don't have a family, because the Jewish people is my family. I don't have a wife. I don't have children, because the entire Jewish people are my children. Is that really what you mean for my role to be? 
Now the truth is, Hashem had already said this to Moshe. Now, even though it happened earlier, the verse that records it is later. So please turn to page seven, uh, 972. 972. So this is in the book of Devarim, the fifth book of the Torah, where Hashem is reviewing with Moshe <coughs> everything that happened over the preceding 40 years. Listen to these verses. Page 27. Uh, Pasuk 27, I'm sorry. A little bit higher than halfway down the page. Pasuk 27. 972, Pasuk 27. So this is God reviewing the description of the revelation at Mount Sinai and the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai and getting ready for the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. You remember, we discussed this before Shavuos, when they got to the Sinai desert, and they were camped around the mountain, and there were several days of preparation before God appeared on what the day that we celebrated Shavuos and revealed and spoke the Ten Commandments. But there's preparation. Pasuk 27. Lechem or lehem. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading for the wrong passage. So there's preparation. And the preparation was, Hashem says, tell the Jewish people, husbands and wives, you have to separate. You know, this is not a time for hanky-panky. This is serious business, spiritual. I'm going to come speak to you. We want not physical stuff right now. Just take a little break from the physical. Let's concentrate on the spiritual. No physical intimacy for three days, three days, three days before Sinai. Hashem says to the Jewish people, husbands and wives, you have to separate. Three days. Okay. Then the revelation of Sinai. God speaks the Ten Commandments. And God says now, this is after Pasuk 27, Lechem or Lam, God says to Moshe, go tell them, Shuvu Lechem Lechem. Get back together. <laughs> you know, I was taking a medical test recently and, and for the test, there were various times I had to hold my breath. So the doctor says, hold your breath, now breathe. Hold your breath, now breathe. Over and over. I'm just thinking to myself, I'm sure everyone else is also who takes this kind of test. I hope he just remembers, you know, breathe. I mean, if he just gets a little, for him, you know, he could just forget. But I'm, I'm holding my breath. Okay, you hope that he's on the ball. So Hashem says, separate. Okay, come back together. Okay, resume normal life. That was a special time, three days, special time. Unusual, not the normal thing, but for the spirituality of Mount Sinai, separate. Now, it's over. Resume normal life. Pasuk 28. The Atah. But you, Moshe? No. You don't get that. Po Amod Imadi. You stay with me. You stay with me. You're, you're, you're still here. You, you don't go back to your family. Come with me. I'm going to tell you 
the whole Torah, I'm going to tell you all the commandments. You don't get to go back to your family like everybody else. And that is what Miriam criticized. Please turn to page 799. That was a mistake. Page 794. I apologize. Page 794. Passage number one, middle of the page. Batadabir Miriam Vaharam Bamoshe. They were gossiping about Moshe. What were they gossiping about? Al Odos Haisha Hakushis Asherlokach. Concerning Moshe's wife. Kiisha Kushis Lokach. Because he was married to a woman, an Ethiopian woman. Yisro's daughter, by the way. We know her name was Tipora. They're gossiping about his wife. What are they what are they talking about? What what are they talking about his wife? Our rabbis say they fill in this lacuna. What, what was the gossip about? <coughs> Miriam and Sipara happened to be talking as sister-in-laws do. They were very close. And somehow in the conversation it came out that Sipora, Moshe's wife, did not live together with her husband. They lived celibate lives. Because Hashem said, no, Atta, Moshe, you're with me. You don't go back to your wife. You're full time. You're like the mother taking care of the baby. Jewish people, your baby, they're your family, they're your wife, they're your children, that's it. No, 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 you don't, you don't have an, an, an independent life. You don't have an identity as a husband and a father to an individual. Sipora, that's all she knew, you know? No, we don't have any family life. She thought it was normal. Miriam hears this, that's not normal. You mean you don't? you're not living together with your husband and you think that's normal and she says and the, the, she says Moshe how come Moshe is not living together with his wife why was Moshe separated from his wife it was the direct consequence of what Moshe was given to understand as a result of the Jewish people complaining about the food and Moshe saying, you know, take me out of the picture. God says, no, I'm not going to do that. And Moshe says, you mean to say I'm the nurse to this peep to these people? Is that what you mean to say? Yeah. Yeah. God says, that, that's what I mean to say. You don't have a wife. You don't have a life. You don't have an individual personality. You don't get to go home at night. And it's a result of that that Miriam, who hears about it, says, "What? Are, you're not a normal person. You don't get a. You don't. You're not a. Fa you're not a husband." 
and God appears. Plus, page 794. Pasuk number 5. Moshe doesn't answer, by the way. Moshe doesn't respond. Not a word do we see from Moshe defending himself. What do you want me to do? God said, this is what I have to do. I understand if God didn't say that to you, but, but he said it to me. No, Moshe doesn't answer, doesn't respond. Pasuk 5. Hashem Badmud Anan. God responds. God comes down in a cloud of glory. And Pasuk 6. And he says, listen, you think that you're a prophet and a prophetess, you're the same as Moshe, and whatever rules apply to you apply to Moshe? No. You're not on the same level as Moshe. Pasuk 7, bottom of the page. Locain Abdi Moshe. Moshe, my servant, is not like you. No. No. No, no. You misunderstand something here. Top of the next page. 796. who? Moshe is in my house. God says. I talk to Moshe. He's got to be ready at every moment. You don't have to be ready. You can have a life. Moshe gave up his personal life. Because I need him all the time. No personal life. So you're making a mistake if you think that you can apply the standards that are applicable in your life to what the standards should be applicable in Moshe's life. You're not on the same level. Moshe is different. Moshe is different as a result of the episode of the complaining over the manna. One unified theme, the whole Parsha. The whole Parsha is about the single unified theme of the way in which the Jewish people were on the march, on track, and right knocking on heaven's door, right there, and then lost. Gone. And Moshe coming to understand that he needs an I he, he he has an identity that's not what he thought it was. And he will somehow have to be able to come to terms with that identity just to survive. But he's changed forever. The Jewish people are changed forever. And the course of human history, the course of Jewish history, is changed forever. That's the theme of this partial. It's tragic. It's deep. It's a completely unified narrative. But at the end of it, Moshe is different. The Jewish people is different. Jewish history is different. And every one of us who study it is different. I want you to try, and I'm saying this to myself as well, on Shabbos, when we read this parsha, try to pay attention to the emotion, to the mood that's going on behind this. Try to see this unified structure between what it appears to be just bees buzzing around from, from, from bush to bush, from flower to flower, but it's all one story with this deep, deep emotion.
and try to feel how this transition plays out in the course of the Parsha. Thank you very much.